the job that I had, I wasn't happy in it. Yeah. I could see my life wasting away. And was that more of a corporate type job? Well, it wasn't even a co- it was um I did this engineering degree. Okay. Um, oh, engineering. Yeah, I was doing it. Yeah, I know. You, you ticked one of the boxes. I ticked the box. Yeah, yeah, the box good. was ticked. Uh, the certification was <laughs> mostly there. But, but what I realised when I did that engineering job was, at lunchtime, the way in which people unwound or enjoyed themselves was playing solitaire. One hour solid sandwich, crisp packet, solitaire, click, click, click. And I just looked at them and I thought to myself, I'm not going to become this. Yeah. Um, so I st- would take the train, so I'd finished uni. On a train, I'd read a newspaper. It's so depressed. So I'm depressed by reading the newspaper, going in depressed all day. So I actually just picked up a book, yeah. just um, a book for fun. And it was the first time, probably in 12 years, that I picked up a book just for fun, not without it being a textbook or course book yeah, or yeah. learning something. And what, what really swung it for me was um, I went to film school on a weekend. And I did a filmmaking class. When I got there, I was so like, I shouldn't be, I shouldn't do this. It's really like, what, fun, what are you doing? Yeah. When I got to the class, the um, instructor there, um, his team said, we're really sorry, but he's um, been selected to judge an award and he has to fly off to Toronto to judge the Toronto Film Award. So we can either give you, we can give you a full refund or we can give you this course plus one other course. Now in my mind, I think, oh, okay, this is a sign that, you know, you shouldn't be doing this. So I was going to say full refund, but the words came out, I'll take this course and the other course. Asian mentality, right? <laughs> yeah. So I two took, for one. Love yeah, it. two for one. And um, <laughs> I ended up doing a film school Yeah. Uh, in my spare time on a weekend, in the evening, to join filmmaking clubs whilst working as an engineer. Assalamu alaikum and welcome to another TMV podcast brought to you by The Muslim Vibe. As always, I'm your host, Salim Qasim, and I'm the chief editor of The Muslim Vibe. Um, before we get underway with this week's podcast, I just wanted to give a quick shout out to everybody that we saw at the Palestine Expo. We had, a, as I mentioned previously, we had a stall there and we had some awesome conversations over the weekend. It was amazing to meet people from all around Europe, to be honest. I mean, one one guy came up to our stall and said that he had heard about the Palestine Expo from our Instagram account. Um, and then he drove 12 hours from uh, Germany to, to, to be at the Expo. It was, it was quite surreal. Um, but it was really, really cool meeting people that have been kind of followers and readers um, of the Muslim vibe. And I guess also a, a special shout out to Aftab as well who is one of our regular listeners, has listened to our podcast for over two years now. And I, we, we were really excited when he came over. So we ended up kind of grilling the guy um, in terms of getting just some feedback on on our content, what kind of stuff he likes, what he doesn't like, all of that kind of stuff. And also, obviously, um, just general ideas going forward. So, uh, yeah, it was great to meet you, Aftab. Thank you very much for being such a loyal listener. And... Yeah, we hope to see you around, I guess. Coming back to this week's podcast, uh, I was joined, or I am going to be joined by um, Farhan Qureshi, who is a writer and a filmmaker from London. And amongst his many roles, he's also worked as a CGI and visual effects artist on many top Hollywood films. And we'll, we'll get into those as soon as we have our conversation, but uh, it was actually really, really cool sitting down with Farhan just because it's something that's very different you, you don't often hear of or I've never come across anyone in fact that works in, in this industry from a from the Muslim community 
so yeah we, we just basically talk about i guess a little bit on the technical side but then also looking at diversity and inclusion i guess within those spaces so here's my conversation with farhan so salam farhan alaikum salam salam how are you very good thank you for for joining me on the podcast um i want to jump right in mm. and ask you about well some I'll, I'll name some of the projects that you've worked on sure batman begins right if i get any wrong let me know no no but, you're embarrassing <laughs> me now <laughs> so, so batman begins alien versus predator yeah and a couple of the harry potter films three four and five well, there you go. <laughs> putting the fact that i dislike harry potter to one side sure that's a pretty impressive resume thank you um what were you doing on these films specifically yeah so uh, on the first harry potter movie yeah. um well the first harry potter movie that i worked, worked on, on which yeah, is yeah. harry potter free prisoner of azkaban yeah. um i was involved in a sequence where lupin uh, professor lupin turns into the werewolf and chases harry and hermione around the forest and okay. the sequence where the big tree grabs harry hermione and um friends and throws them around and flings them around which is actually quite a funny sequence because um they've got this giant tree grabbing the uh the characters and slinging them around and i was doing the leaf animation and the um so obviously there's loads of leaves flying around off the trees and um i'd get feedback from i don't think that leaf is fluttering quite quite right i'd be like what a tree picking up three kids (laughs) (laughs) and you're criticizing my leaf animation so uh, that was my first job in the industry how how many so obviously, you know, we're talking specifically about the visual effects side of yeah. things. How many people would be involved in a sequence like that? Bear in mind quickly, everything you just said means nothing to me. Sure. I know the names Harry, Hermione and Ron. Ron. Yeah. But beyond that, it just sounds as fantastical as Harry Potter supposedly is because I, I literally, I, I I don't like Harry Potter so much that sure. I've like actively not seen anything right that but sense. you're still familiar with the general site guys i know Harry Potter. Potter. Yeah, yeah yeah i mean that's about it but i mean I, I can envisage a world in which a tree would pick up three kids and yeah and throw them around might not be quite well, leaves, right. well yeah they weren't <laughs> quite fluttering right apparently on my shots but yeah um, so how, how many people are involved in something like that so f- for a typical project like that you'd have about 60 people because it's harry potter harry potter budgets we had about 100 so um, wow yeah, we did three three major sequences. I think about a hundred would be right. Yeah, we had a massive floor in uh, in our studios in Soho. Yeah, and uh, there were literally no no spare desks. So um, yeah, that's, Harry that's Potter just for that one sequence. Yeah, but that's for the one sequence in Harry Potter Land. Yeah, if you go to any of the other movies I worked on, we did not have a hundred people. Really? There's more like teams of twelve to twenty would be an average team. Um, an average size team and i'm guessing the number of people working on a project then impacts the time that it takes and also the quality of what's produced yeah so what's interesting about some of the projects which you mentioned yeah um i did three harry potter movies and in between each harry potter movie i, I worked on another movie yeah um after harry potter 3 i worked on alien versus predator and the two projects couldn't have been more different in terms of the work that that the work ethos that we had for the first day of Alien v Predator, yeah, the uh, VFX supervisor pulls us all into the studio for the kickoff and says, um, "We're not making one piece. Just have loads of fun and just enjoy yourself." Wow! And we did, and that was somewhat different to working in a Harry Potter movie. It's very, very accurate. It's really, really prescribed exactly what you need to do in each shot. Yeah. Um, I worked on a movie called Riddick, which... Um, I've seen Riddick. Yes. Didn't enjoy it much. 
Well, it wasn't your fault. No, no, but the effects were good, right? <laughs> the effects were brilliant. That's why, that's why I watched it. Yeah. Um, but, but that was very different in that on Riddick, on Harry Potter, yeah. it would not be uncommon to be on iteration 14 of a shot. I know one animator was iteration 38 of the same shot. On Riddick, first time. First time. Everything just... signed off. Yeah, good, good. We need to get through all of these shots and we need to do them quickly. And the one that I I did want to speak to you about was Batman. I loved, yeah. I, oh, I loved the whole Batman franchise. And I I think you were involved with the, the bats flying out of the um, the well. Is that right? So, or? yeah, the, I had four sequences of bats. Yeah. <laughs> it was uh, when uh, Bruce Wayne opens a box yeah, yeah, yeah. in the ninja camp. The second one was in Arkham Asylum. Uh, the third one was when he fell down a bat cave. And the fourth one, mm. which is actually the most iconic one, is... The moment Bruce Wayne discovers he's going to become Batman and a cyclone of bats envelop him. Wow. Yeah, which is a very interesting story because... How does that feel for you then when you watch back these movies knowing that you've had you've played a part, especially in, in Batman, in like integral um, scenes? Yeah, because that, that moment is actually quite iconic in mm. movie and comic book folklore. Yeah. The moment, and that shot actually got nominated for an Oscar. So, so you really... you were kind of nominated for an Oscar. Yeah, yeah, they used they put my shot for. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll take it. We're fine. We've got an Oscar nominee here. I mean, that's, yeah. that's pretty cool. <laughs> Haven't had one on the podcast yet. I don't think. Uh, I'm sure he'll have many more. <laughs> <laughs> Inshallah, let's see. Inshallah. But um, yeah. So what's it like? How do you feel? I guess watching back these films then. Yeah, I, I go through a phase of, just tuning into the film alone and not focusing on the VFX because when you focus on the VFX, yeah. it feels like. It feel, feels so, more like, like a day homework. job. Exactly, yeah. right? So, um, in fact, when we go and review our shots, we would we had a cinema in a basement of um, these production houses. Yeah. So you'd go into this lovely cinema and it'd be really nice and then they'd roll your shots and you'd get lots of feedback. Yeah. It's like, mm, it's kind of taking the gloss of going to the <laughs> cinema now. So, um, but when, when, I, when I actually watch those movies, because they do come on TV or watch them on DVD, it really makes me feel like, you know, there's some jobs in life that, you do a thing, it's done, it's forgotten, and no one will ever remember it. Yeah. Versus doing something like this, especially on some of the children's animations that I worked on, when I hear the children laughing, it's like, well, you created a really cool piece of animation. Create a memory for people. Yeah. Because what, what's interesting is that um, I was talking to some friends the other day about uh, The Dark Knight, one of my yeah. favorite films. And I can remember where I was watching Batman, The Dark Knight. Oh, I remember the cinema. I remember yeah. the people I was with. <laughs> I remember the whole thing because it was such a such a pleasurable experience oh. and I enjoyed it so much that you kind of that sticks with you yeah so I guess what you're saying is, is interesting because you are creating that kind of moment for people and being a part of that process yeah um, in a in a cool way and what's I, I think fascinating about even when 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 you reached out in the first place was that I've never come across somebody <laughs> in 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 the Muslim space I guess that works in in visual effects yeah which is no had I <laughs> yeah I, I mean this yeah. is this is what I kind of wanted to get on to next was talking about um, representation um, within the industry because the the podcast that we did uh, a couple of months back with Shaf from the Riz Test yeah they look the Riz Test they look at uh, representation on screen yeah um, and and it's a very good kind of thing that they have again we'll put the link in the in the episode notes so people can check it out but it's all about you know asking the question of are Muslims being stereotyped um, in terms of their representation on screen? But what often doesn't come to light is what's happening behind the screens. So 
yeah, I guess the first question is, is there diversity um, in your industry or in that industry? Um, that looks as it all. No, well, <laughs> bear in mind, I, I've been at this for over 10 years or so, right? It's yeah. changing now, yeah. but it, it's changing because they're making initiatives to change it rather than it's changing organically. It's not changing because more and more people from ethnic minorities are seeing it as a career and they, it just happens to be opening out. Mm. There's very, very tight um, initiatives around this, which is great, but I always find that when you're in a council meeting or you're you're in a meeting and, and this has happened many, many times, okay? Yeah. I would literally be the only non-white person in that meeting. And when everyone else is saying, okay, how do we get more... Uh, uh, minority black ethnic yeah. um, into the thing so it's not being designed by it's being designed very much by rote and that sometimes you can see the difference when something is designed by rote versus when something just happens organically mm. um, to answer your first question I think I there were a couple of guys from India um, I was the only British brown person there the other brown people from, from India yeah um, I think I probably worked with four or five hundred people during the ten years um, I only ever worked with two black guys in that time period out of four or five hundred people wow um, and there were probably f- four Asian guys and one Asian girl do you, do you feel like because you mentioned sort of uh, brown people from India yeah. Do you feel like you're treated as different? Do they? Because I'm guessing people probably look at you mm. and assume that you're from India, like you're oh, yeah. f- fresh off the boat from India. Yeah, yeah. Do you feel like you get treated differently as a result? Um, so one funny story I was actually went upstairs to meet the, the film, uh, the director of film, to talk about a film project. Yeah. That I was going to work on, and I walked up into his office, and the runner, who is kind of like a secretary type person. Yeah. As I walk in for my appointment on time, so yeah. the runner would know that I'm in, yeah, you yeah. know, someone's you're, you're arriving the person, to meet yeah. the, the big MD, looks at me and says, oh, great, you're here. Great. I, about my computer, I just can't get it to work. Wow. I just don't know what to do. I hit this thing. <laughs> the full on stereotype. Oh, yeah. And they started showing me cables and stuff. And I thought, <laughs> I'm going to let this play out for a few minutes. And, then, yeah, this, this, and it's not the runner's fault, okay? I don't blame the runner at all. Yeah. But um, he just started to talk about all the... And he just did not even clock to even ask who I was yeah um so, so then I, I let it go for you a weren't while. holding like a a, a toolbox or anything were nothing you? and it's been in many sure? meetings I've been in when something doesn't work everyone looks at me to fix the projector yeah, yeah. fix this why is that not working so I, I I get that in my family yeah. a lot of the time because I'm like the youngest person I use I, I do a lot of <laughs> digital media stuff so they're yeah. like oh yeah TV's not working and everyone just looks at me yeah you do co- computers right I, 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 I do computers <laughs> exactly um, I can imagine that being frustrating. Do you think it's are there barriers? Like, because you mentioned that you know you've only worked with two black people. Yeah. Um, you're the only kind of uh, you British born. Yes. Okay, so you're the only British born brown person that you've. Yeah. Well, there were three others during the several years, but most of the, the brown people that you'd meet were from India. Yeah. Um, and they were doing you know there's even a hierarchy they didn't get the creative jobs they didn't get the fun jobs they got the the grunt labor they got the 12 hour shift the production line type uh, yeah very yeah I, I mean the question i guess comes to mind of why 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 is that the case is it a case of 
we're not seeing i say we as as minorities are not seeing this as a viable route yeah. or is it that there are it's like a, a closed society that you can't get into what do you think you've been there 10 years yeah i think it's both i'll be honest i think we are as much to blame as a society the mm. way well i say blame is blame is the wrong word we are as much responsible because when i don't know what it's like for you when you were growing up but for me there's three strands if if you were a brown boy growing up finance number one number two was medicine and number three was it now within those three strands we have hierarchy so in finance if you are really really smart you're going to finance if you're not as good you're going to accountancy and you'd work your way down same in medicine it's doctor then pharmacy and then it was the bucket that they're not going to become an engineer or scientist Mm. or whatever just do it and have a job now when we grow up and that's part of the reason you don't see many um asian footballers yeah you don't see many asian uh actors or artists because it's not seen as a thing you can do now in a way i feel that i'm quite lucky in the way both my parents are very liberal and they encourage us to follow our dreams yeah most asian parents of that generation perhaps did but i'm not saying they're not like that it's just they all came from whichever country, from Pakistan, from India, from Bangladesh, uh, Sri Lanka, to the UK for in, uh, one reason. That reason was for us to be educated. And for them, an education meant my son would be an engineer yeah, or a doctor. Um, it didn't mean my son's going to work in the film industry. And we've got to remember back then, there was no such thing as CG. Mm. Well, see, how, how could they prepare? So for whatever reason, our society doesn't value it and now as much as they value a job in canary wharf yeah. you, know, you you work in canary wharf you, you're um you're the golden child <laughs> um it wasn't just our parents it's even my own peer group mm. my own peer group other people my same age uh the, the way i got into it is um i left a very very good job yeah. to go back to university i did a master's in computer animation and when i did it it wasn't just the grown-ups who were a bit bemused by it it was my own age group so i was like 25 26 when i went back to uni yeah so i'd been working five or six years it's very up. brave of you to do that it was very brave but i the job that i had i wasn't happy in it yeah i could see my life wasting away and was that more of a corporate type job well it wasn't even a co- it was um i did this engineering degree okay um, oh engineering yeah i was doing it yeah i know you, you ticked one of the boxes i ticked the box yeah, the box good. was ticked uh the certification was <laughs> mostly there your, your but, marriage um, propositions were lining up nicely everything was good on yeah. paper okay but, but what i realized when i did that engineering job was at lunchtime not even like the whole day was a night it just wasn't me but at lunchtime the way in which people unwound or enjoyed themselves was playing solitaire one hour solid sandwich crisp packet solitaire click 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 and i just looked at them and i thought to myself i'm not going to become this yeah um so i st- would take the train so i'd finished uni on a train i'd read a newspaper it's so depressed because i'm depressed by reading the newspaper going in depressed all day so i actually just picked up a book yeah. just um a book for fun and it was the first time probably in 12 years that I picked up a book just for fun, not without it being a textbook or course book yeah, or yeah. learning something. And um, back then, uh, David Bedil was one of my favorite comedians. He wrote a book called uh, Time for Bed. And I read it on the train. And I started re- getting into um, 
more books and I've started reading Woody Allen. I started watching Woody Allen movies, going to see David Padilla doing shows and stuff. And I actually did a course, a writing course. One, after doing that for a while, I just got a notepad and at lunchtime, we would start writing in the notepad with ink, mm. right? And people laugh and they'd all laugh and go, oh, look, Fans writing his life story. How's it going? Um, and then what, what really swung it for me was um, I went to film school on a weekend yeah. Um, and I did a filmmaking class. When I got there, I was so like, I shouldn't be, I shouldn't do this. It's really like, what, fun, what are you doing? Yeah. When I got to the class, the um, instructor there, um, his team said, we're really sorry, but he's um, been selected to judge an award and he has to fly off to Toronto to judge the Toronto Film Award. So we can either give you, we can give you a full refund or we can give you this course plus one other course. Now in my mind, I think, oh, okay, this is a sign that, you know, you shouldn't be doing this. So I was going to say full refund, but the words came out, I'll take this course and the other course. Asian mentality, right? <laughs> yeah. So I two took, for one. Love yeah, it. two for one. And um, <laughs> I ended up doing a film school Yeah. Uh, in my spare time on a weekend, in the evening, to join filmmaking clubs whilst working as an engineer. And then the reason I went back to university is I, I started mixing in circles with filmmakers. No, no brown filmmakers, right? Of course, yeah. <laughs> um, and we were making movies on the weekends. Uh, we would meet up once a week in the evening. Yeah. And what I learned from that experience was that the most successful of those filmmakers were those who had an angle. So, for example, one of them, a pair of brothers, they um, worked at a camera hire facility. So Friday night, boss says, okay, lock up, boys. I go, yes, boss, yes, boss. Uh, and as the boss would go off, they would take out all the cam or take the cranes, the jibs, the cameras, tripods, um, use them for the whole weekend, return them Monday morning at 8 a.m. And they'd do it week after week and they were making such great movies. Yeah. So I, I thought to myself, okay, what can I do? Then I, I watched the first Spider-Man movie. and Tobey Maguire? Yeah. Okay. Way, way back. I watched that a while ago. I watched that recently again. Yeah. It's, it made, a, it's awful. Like, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. The CGI side of things yeah, yeah. is atrocious. Yeah. But at the time, it was cutting edge, right? Oh, it was. Yeah. And I, I read, a, there's a magazine called CG World, and I read it, and it showed all the shots of Spider-Man swinging around and how they did it. Mm. And I thought it was just some martial artist in the Spider-Man suit. But it was all CGI. It was all CG. So um, I got the last place uh, at a course of a national comp Center for Computer Animation in Bournemouth. Yeah. Literally the last spot, I phoned them up. They said, well, applications are due in yesterday. I said, oh, but we there's only one spot. If you want it, you take it right now on the phone. So I took uh -huh. it on the phone. I said, I'll take it. I said, okay, you need to send a check for this. Term starts in two weeks. But now that was oh. an interesting uh, going home saying, well, by the way, I've, <laughs> <laughs> I've, just, um... I've just signed up to a one-year course. I'm moving to Bournemouth for a year. Um, no had nowhere to stay, nowhere to live. Yeah. Literally, I found a place on. Um, I don't even can't remember how I found it. I found an agent up, and she said, um, "There's a room. There's four other students from the same university." What, there. Sorry to cut you off, but what what drove you during all of this? Yeah, so I wanted to be a filmmaker. Wanted to be a filmmaker. Yeah. Um, doing computer animation. So this was a time of Pixar around. Well, Toy Story had been out for a while. Monsters Inc. It was around the time of Monsters, Inc. Mm. Um, and seeing that what could be done. Um, so that's what drove me is like, I couldn't live a life like less ordinary, if that makes sense. I couldn't be, I mean, it just wasn't, I know, sorry, I don't mean to offend any engineers who may be listening <laughs> to your show, but it wasn't me. Yeah. And 
I guess it, it comes down to personal preference, right? Mm. And and following your passion. And I think what's interesting is that you, you're right in that it, it might come across as a bit harsh, mm. but sometimes people settle in life, and yeah. and they're they're willing to kind of do something that will put food on the table, yeah, and that will give them the, an existence, mm. but they might not necessarily be happy. Yeah, they you know their passions might have been elsewhere. Like yours were clearly you know evolved into kind of the movie industry, mm. and what you did was you just went and said right I'm. 25 26 yeah i'm calling it a day on this engineering career yeah. and i'm gonna go do what i love yeah and 10 plus years later you haven't looked back and i think you, you'd probably i mean do, do you think that was the right decision for you i think i big believe in kismet and where, where you're meant to be you're meant to be there yeah um i just uh close eyes bismillah and just just Jumped just in. do it because i can't see like whether it's a right thing or wrong thing, it's it's it was my path. It's, it was going to happen whether I did it happily or grudgingly, or with a smile on my face yeah, or yeah, a frown yeah, on yeah, my yeah. face. Um, I think I've financially probably I'd have been better off st- staying in in, in the normal. Because bear in mind, you you take a year out of work. It's not just the cost of a cor- course. It's a cost of a lost earning. It's a cost yeah, of, of starting again. So the year I graduated, I started from the bottom. On a graduate salary, basically. Exactly, yeah, yeah. like 27, 28. And I, I, I don't imagine that salaries in the CGI world or the CG world are as no. good or as competitive as, as that no. one, right? As engineering. Well, uh, my mates who were in my peer group at the time yeah. are in finance and banking. Yeah. And they were making about 4x what I was making as a day rate and I was working much harder than them I'm hoping you made them pay when you would go out to restaurants and stuff well uh, (laughs) it would only only be fair (laughs) Um, but the thing is I was having such a great time like um, the offices were in Soho on one side you've got Covent Garden you've got Leicester Square you've got Oxford Circus Um, I'd go into work talking about scenes about Batman how how the bats should move the motivation of um, Harry Potter. I'd literally have Ridley Scott walking around the room, looking, coming to my desk, drawing notes really? for me. Tim Burton. I literally actually walked around this corner and Tim Burton was walking around that corner. And then we, we, so the, the viewers, can't, the, the listeners can't hear, but we literally <laughs> almost um, collided and he screamed. So I'm really sorry, Mr. Burton. He goes, no, 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 it's my fault. And uh, scurries off. Like, oh my gosh, I just scared Tim Burton. <laughs> I had... Um, Christopher Nolan, who was directing Batman, yeah. you know, Peter Lord, who directed Pirates, just to be, n- never mind that I'm doing my hobby and getting paid to do my hobby. But you're but also then, around industry leaders. Industry leaders, like at the very top tier, I sat in front of directors, sat in the same row as them at their premieres. Um, they probably didn't know who I was, but I mean, the mm. fact that I'm there, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, in the evenings, you know, there'd be things going on in Comment Garden and back then I was single so it's slightly different life to having to run home to babies <laughs> as I'd have to now <laughs> but you, you know the life yeah. of a single guy during that time period and you know like I don't know if I can say this or not on, on a podcast but you're um, you're meeting people yeah um, maybe some of the younger you list, uh, listeners mm. might know but when you when you're looking to get married you're meeting people, but it's the conversations are different. The conversations aren't about okay, well, you're an engineer. How are you going to pay for 
all of this the conversations were what movies are you working on tell me about this movie and you know it was just far more interesting I, I think I was um I think most of the other guys at various um, <laughs> events that we'd go to, I wasn't the most popular amongst the other guys because yeah, um, yeah. well, I just had more in- interesting stories to tell. <laughs> I think what's interesting is that I've I've previously travelled uh, on holiday with a bunch of medical students right. back in my student days. Okay, and portions of that holiday couldn't have been more boring right. because they all just got talking about medicine. Okay. Whereas if I was with a bunch of VX guys, yeah, <laughs> I would have loved it because I, I mean, even now we've spoken about <laughs> Batman, Harry Potter. You've mentioned Christopher. I was going to jokingly earlier say, "Oh yeah, like your buddies with Christopher Nolan," but yeah. <laughs> you've you've worked with the guy and whatever else, which I think is is uh, is amazing. Yeah. And, and what's what's really cool is that you know I've grown up in a time where I I think I think I saw Toy Story in the cinema. If I'm not mistaken, right. you know what year it came out? Ninety. Uh, 90- or 94. Okay, no, then I didn't see it in the cinema. I was too young, um, but I've I've seen the progression of of CGI, yeah, um, of visual effects, <laughs> and it's what's really I guess amazing is that when you look back ten years, fifteen years, and you watch the stuff that we once thought was mm. cutting edge and trailblazing, yeah, all of a sudden it looks like just really really bad work, um, and and it's a it's a constantly evolving field. Mm. So, so I guess you're never going to get bored because the technology is always evolving. It's always a, it's a changing discipline almost. Oh yeah. But you need to keep learning and keep you know doing different. I mean, even if you look at graphic designers, mm. a graphic designer ten fifteen years ago was very different to what what a graphic de- designer is today. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. and and that's what I find really fascinating about the whole field. You mentioned um sort of conversations when you're looking to get married and all this kind of stuff what is or what has the response been amongst your peers especially from like ethnic back you know from an ethnic background because i feel like at uni all of my non-muslim white friends like i could tell them i'm gonna do this i'm gonna do that like nothing nothing shocks them nothing surprises oh that's cool yeah go go be a uh visual effects guy yeah sounds cool yeah but within the community as you said like most people are very much fit into one particular square yeah. So, what's the reception? What ha- what was it like, and what is it like now? Because I'm guessing ten years ago, and now it's very different. Now that you've got these kind of incredible projects that you've worked on under your belt, yeah, um, I'm sure people look at it in a different way, right? So it's like um, when it was an unknown, yeah, big big like uh, question marks, yeah, exactly. But <laughs> seeing as it was a success, success, Alhamdulillah, yeah. Um, the, the stories, you know, I can imagine it could have gone very much the other way. Yeah, yeah. Um, but people say this is amazing what you've done. Well, they they see the end product, they see um, the Oscar nominations, they see the work and the showreels. They don't see the struggle. Yeah. Like, and I mean in every aspect, not just when you walk through the door and the struggle of being the only brown person amongst eighty or ninety. Um, white people they mm. don't see the struggle that when you get home that when you have to ex- not explain you know, I, I, I've ne- I'm quite lucky I've never had to explain anything in my life mm. um, but when you see your peers and they're buying cars and they're buying flats and they got a flat at the age of 26 or 27 and fast forward at 10 years that flat is now worth triple what they bought it for now they've got a house they've got cars their kids are in private schools no problem they're just Mm. living a life um i'm still working <laughs> but 
you make that choice, right? The, the choice was to kind of, do you look at your future? Will your future self be happy with your past self? I mean, mm. my current self, I'm quite happy. Fine, I'm not as far down whatever monetary value path as some other people. Yeah. But I kind of think you're it's not for me to, you know, you know, I know it's different schools if I don't want to get all um, philosophical. Yeah, but philosophical I, you if know, you want to, I don't mind. But I kind of think what Allah has decided for me, that's that's for me. Yeah. Okay, what Allah decided for someone else, good luck that's to that them, person, yeah. you know. Um, it's just different. I've just got been dealt a different set of cards. But I, f- I feel like it's also this, uh, I mentioned earlier, and I, I feel very passionately about this, which is why I'm repeating it, but this this notion of, of uh, you know, f- climbing on the financial ladder. Right. And I think what's always interesting is looking back to the kind of um, the let's call it the immigrant generation of Pakistanis, Indians, and subcontinental people generally yeah. that came to the UK in in search of a better life, and so the necessity there was to survive. Right. Yeah. So you work to survive. You give your kids a better education so that they can then make more money, so you have a better existence. Because you've come oftentimes as refugees with you know very little in your pockets and whatever else. And so then fast forward to kind of where we are, I feel like people fall into into that mentality a lot easier because that's what's been fed from that's what's been fed to them yeah. from their parents' generation. That like life is all about having and amassing as much wealth as possible for the future, for future generations. And you know, so that you have you can buy a bigger house, a bigger car, this, that, whatever. But and I don't know if it's exclusively it probably isn't, but I feel like it is somewhat of a of a of an ethnic minority type problem that happiness doesn't factor into the equation. It's an it's not even an afterthought. Yeah. 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 It's like, oh, you're happy? Oh, good for you. Yeah, yeah. But not like, okay, what's gonna make you happy? Yeah. Like why 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 are we and, and this is something that I you you're a father now, right? Yeah, I've got two boys. Two boys. So now What's going to be interesting is the way that you bring them up. And it seems like your parents were very kind of accommodating. Um, I say accommodating because that's probably as far as they probably weren't thrilled. <laughs> they won, but they were accommodating of your decisions. Um, but you're probably going to then look forward to your kids and in- encourage them to pursue what makes them happy. Yeah, I think like touching upon what you just said. Yeah. Like this, this concept of massing wealth, right? Yeah. You probably seen it and I've seen it. Families who have lots of wealth and what their kids get up to <laughs> with that wealth yeah. when they, their parents aren't there, when they go off to university. I saw it at college, I saw it at university, and it was, and I want to say exclusive, but it was mostly the richer, better off kids mm. who didn't have to pass their degree with a job waiting for, uh, with a job that they had to get. It was yeah. a daddy's business would look after them. Uh, daddy would do this daddy would pay I keep saying daddy because back then I know it's, it's not proper to say he nowadays but back back in those days it was mostly the men who who would would uh, be pushed yeah um, and I saw what, what lots of having lots of money does to people I've seen I see it even today mm. I know lots of people have loads of money um, I've not been in that position myself but I kind of feel that I've got, you know, the, the whole reason I've done this is because I, I, I want to use film and art to in some way impact or I'm not going to say change the world, 
if we can change percep- one person's perception of that, of that something, which is why I've put myself through this, because I just felt there was, there's, we're all given a talent, like you've been given this, mashallah, talent to create this, to, you know, try to, to bring about some change in attitudes, ideas. Yeah. I was given what I was given to write stories, to make films. And though I wanted to give up so many times and just pack it all in, um, there's something like a higher purpose. Mm. But if I gave up, I wouldn't just be letting myself down. I'd be letting, I don't know, some, whatever whatever the subject of my kid is, currently I'm writing about refugees. And we know that refugees, children, refugee people who come here face incredible discrimination. Yeah. If I, as a writer, can make a piece of film or a piece of art or a book or whatever that can become popular and change some of those attitudes and people see these other people as more human, then yeah, I, I, I could either trade that all in for a better car <laughs> or, or, or to have some Uncle G who I w- would meet once every four years at someone's wedding give me a pat on the shoulder and say, yeah, oh, Marshall, oh, yeah. you're working Canary Wharf. Killing it. All done. Yeah, yeah do you know <laughs> what I mean? Um, and that, that's what I see. And I don't live my life for so someone can be proud of me who I'm never going to see, mm, yeah. you know, see him twice a year at a wedding at Valima and that's it. I'll never see that person again, ever. Um, so I don't know, in, in a way, that amassing wealth thing, I think that you, your wealth, could it could disappear just like that. Yeah. You know, I've seen... But but this is the thing for me, is that if you are if you don't enjoy the journey, mm. and it's like the same reason why, why, you know, when I was at, when I was deciding on what to do at university, um, I ended up, doing classical studies which is ancient oh, greek right. literature language philosophy all of that stuff i might have mentioned it on the podcast years ago um yeah. i don't normally and i always have to qualify what it is yeah because people think <laughs> i study classical music otherwise oh, if, right. I say, if i say classical studies they think mozart and beethoven it obviously couldn't be further from that <laughs> but when i was deciding what i wanted to do at university my decision was very simple i didn't want to be an engineer or a doctor or a dentist so i didn't have to do anything specific so I could study. I could have studied anything just to get that degree because yeah. obviously that was like the prerequisite to getting any job you want. Yeah. Um, and you just need a two-one. That's you know. And so I always I, I picked the course because I enjoyed studying that. I I did it for one year at A levels, and I really I found it really engaging looking at the literature and things like that. And I thought I'm going to enjoy studying this when I, when I'm at university. Hmm. And so that's why I studied it. Because I always think, and it's, it's it's a bit of a morbid outlook, but maybe not, is that, God forbid, if I drop dead right now, right. am I enjoying, have I enjoyed what I've been doing? Yeah. Because I know so many people that love the idea of being a doctor, but hated studying medicine. So for five, ten, however long it takes to become a doctor, it's, I, I feel like it's getting longer now. But these guys are struggling. They're mm. doing medicine, they're hating every second of it. But they're like, oh, one day I'll be a doctor. One day I'll be a doctor. And that's why they're doing it. But again, you, you're not guaranteed tomorrow. Yeah. So what happens if four years and, and 364 days in, one day away from graduating, you drop dead? Right. You've suffered five years yeah. for something that never came. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Um, and, and so I, I feel like it's unfortunate that people kind of do things for these future rewards that aren't guaranteed. And as you said, people have lost empires and have lost you know countless amount of wealth overnight over like you know bitcoin suddenly plummeting or whatever it mm. might be money can come and go but i feel like happiness is the thing that should transcend that 
Oh, I agree. I mean, I've seen, and again, there's no slight on any accountants out there, but a lot of my friends... Well, are you calling out everyone today? I'm calling you, no, 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 I'm free and... reign here. But um, <laughs> a lot of my friends would take weekend courses to study a particular thing of accountancy. Yeah. And you'd say, oh, what are you doing this weekend? And they'd say, oh, I'm going to sit at this course that starts at 9am on a Saturday or finish at 5pm on Sunday. I said, oh, that's really great. Are you looking forward to it? And they wouldn't nod. They wouldn't smile. Yeah. What do you think? Do you think I'm looking forward? But, and it's like, why, well, why, why, why are you doing it? Exactly, then? exactly. And so it, they're doing it to please someone, to get a future thing that you don't even want. And that's what I never got. This is this is the thing. Like, as you said, and, and genuinely, if someone loves accounting, and I know people who love numbers. Mm. I have a friend who's a math teacher. Yeah. He just loves numbers. You give him sums, he gets happy. Yeah. Like, fine, enjoy that. But then if you're going to go on a course, then you should also enjoy that. Yeah. It's not a case of like, okay, I'm an accountant for the sake of being an accountant for a salary. Yeah. I'm going to hate my day job. I'm going to come home miserable. Like I, I don't, I, I fundamentally disagree with that yeah. as an ethos. Anyways, we're, we're, we're getting sidetracked and we're just Sorry. hating on everybody else. That's fine. <laughs> I, I enjoyed that. It was a bit cathartic, but I wanted to come back to, to the stuff that you're doing. Cause what I find yeah. is interesting is that beyond the visual effects stuff and, and the, the work that you've done previously in the industry you're working full-time um, and then you've also got multiple things going on on the side. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned, uh, you know, narratives and storytelling. And what I find really interesting is how empowering that is as a, I guess, you know, the film industry itself has that ability and that power to kind of bring something to people that, you know, that can change us, that can, you know, give us that inspiration can make us feel hope, can make us feel the full range of emotions. Mm. And it's a very powerful medium. Um, you've gone in the direction, I believe, and, and this is where I, I need your help a little bit um, in terms of understanding the climate of looking at comic books. Yeah. Um, now, admittedly, the only comic book I've actually ever bought and not read was V for <laughs> Vendetta. Okay. Uh, because That's I loved I, I loved the movie. Yeah. Um, I, I was like, what, 17 at the time, in love with the idea of revolution and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. So it struck a chord with me and, and just the whole... And I think, you know, V is a very iconic um, comic book mm. uh, hero. Yeah. And so I went and I bought the, the, the graphic novel. Um, graphic novel? Yeah. yeah. And I, I didn't enjoy it. Like, I don't... I personally, the, the, again, the medium's not really for me. But I know comic books and I obviously Marvel comics as an example. Like, that, that this whole franchise has been created off the back of the popularity of yeah. of the comics. Um, so, I guess, yeah, t- tell me how you got into comics and, and what you're doing there. Yeah, so, I mean, I come from a film background yeah. and um, screenwriting background, so I've written a few films. And then I got into comic books and trying to change your writing habits or your writing technique from screenplay to comic books honestly i i um <laughs> it, it was it was a a, a tough journey but yeah. a journey in which i learned a lot i mean i think the reason i love comic books so much when i'm making animation it could literally take me a year over a year i, I did an animated movie about six minutes long yeah in my own time um starting late at night after the day job after getting the, the baby to bed and, and it took, how long did you say it took 14 months i'd start at 11 p.m wow. on a good night because yeah. you know, I did the day job, working late, come home, newborn baby, Spend making furniture, yeah. sterilizing bottles, <laughs> uh, cleaning up, 
try to aim to start at 11. Typically, I might start quarter to 11, 12. Yeah. And then just work until I drop. And, or, and when you drop, the baby wakes up. Um, of course. Nice. Yeah. So I did that. And it took a really long time. And I'm really pleased with how the movie came out. Mm. Um, but for time, effort, re- reward ratio, I thought comic books might be more straightforward. Now, I, I couldn't actually have been wronger. I couldn't have been more wrong. Because yeah. comic books take a lot of time. They're very, very rewarding. What I like about comic books is you can tell a story in a really, really visual medium. And you can make and draw anything you want. The artist who you work with can draw anything. You try to do that in a film. You're talking about permits. You're talking about permissions. You're talking about insurance, camera hire. You know, there's a team of 100. The the comic that I've written, it's called Digitopia, is um, a team of four of us. Me, the writer, the editor... Uh, an artist who does the inking, uh, does the layouts and the inking, mm. and a colorist who doubles up as a letterer. Now, even though a team of four, it can get a great, uh, <laughs> it can, they're still quite involved. Yeah. But I can create these worlds really quick. I can take a story in a different direction, and we'll find it at a layout stage where it's just blue ink, um, basic shapes, primitives, blocking it out. We'll find out if it's not working, and we'll change it, and we can do that. The good thing is, I guess you can also do that, right? You yeah. can you can produce the whole comic, and then say, actually, the middle section we're just gonna lift and replace and whatever. Exactly. I have a quick question. Mm. This is a very elementary question, but I've always found that comics are in black and white predominantly. Right. Is that because there's just too much to color? Yeah. So you imagine everyone has a day rate or page rate. Yeah. So you could half your cost of your comic if you don't employ colorists. Fair enough. Because I grew up on like <laughs> Beano and Dandy. I think they were called that. Yeah. Do you remember these? Yeah. They were like Dennis the Menace. Yeah. And, uh, all, all of that. And that was always in all in color pretty much. Yeah. And so I was expecting that getting into the whole graphic novel scene. Um, and what I found was that the front cover was in color. Yeah. Right. Okay. And, and, and the rest was all black and white. And, and again, I think <laughs> adjusting visually to like a, that... Yeah. Um, it's something that maybe people find a bit a bit difficult. I find jump. it difficult, to be honest. Um, my book, I had it coloured. The whole thing? Yeah, the whole thing. Okay. It cost... Uh, More than it should have. Well, I mean, <laughs> the thing is, I kind of think if you're going to do something, if you're not going to do it properly, then you may as well not bother. Don't, don't, don't even start. Yeah. Unless you're going the whole hog. So... Um, and can I, I, sorry, sorry to cut you off, but can I ask also what the book is about? Yeah, of course. So the book, um, I kind of picture it as a pre-apocalyptic adventure, action adventure. Okay. Uh, think Mad Max meets the Matrix. Okay, so some wildly... I like it. Yeah, some, some crazy, crazy action. Really, and wh- why I say Mad Max ahead of any other movie, I watched... Fury Road, you mean? I mean the original Mad Max. I didn't like the original Mad Max. Yeah, but what about the original Mad Max? Yeah. I watched it when I was young. And it scared the life out of me. Yeah. I couldn't sleep for a week. Anytime I'd walk on a road and see anyone on a bike, it scared <laughs> me. And what I liked or what I drew from that was sometimes you'll see these epic Guardians of the Galaxy and Star Wars things and with loads of action, loads of things, but it didn't, never, felt, never felt danger, mm. like real, real danger yeah, for the yeah. character. When I watched the original Mad Max, I felt danger for Max. I felt danger for his wife and his, his child. Yeah. And I felt danger for the the people who lived in that town like you you really would be shivering because of the pure visceral primal nature of it so that's why i say mad max so i wanted my book to have a primal element of danger and fear and violence um 
Matrix because that was one of the first movies that I watched that was as intellectual as it was action driven. Yes, it had a philosophy. It was deep. It was deep. Yeah. Um, now, the, I should just preface this: the action sequences, um, the Mad Max element, comes from the brilliance of the artists, and the deep philosophical nature, uh, nature of it comes from the brilliance of my editor. <laughs> just in case you thought I uh, no 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 that's um, fine. But, the, the, you know, the editors are worth their weight. Because yeah. I took, I wrote the script eight times, ten times, twelve times until I couldn't improve it anymore. And this is part of the Asian mentality. Is only when I got to, like, iteration 12, now I'm going to pay for the editor. <laughs> I'm going to get my value like because I cannot take this any further. Yeah. Um, and the editor comes on board, changes it, changes it, like, to make it three or 400% better in a matter of weeks. Yeah. Um, so I've explained to you what I want to do. I don't want it to be just an action comic book for the sake of an action. There's, there's themes that I'm exploring in here. These are the themes and I'll talk it out with him without any reference to the story. Just say, this is what I feel about life. This mm. is the kind of things that I'm seeing. These are the kind of themes I want to explore. He understood it. Then he read the story and said, okay, those themes aren't coming out. We need to bring them out. A bit we more. need to bring them out. You've got an, you've got something on page seventy two that needs to be on page fourteen. You need to drop pages sixteen to eighteen completely. Mm. But, can, can I ask what kind of themes? Yeah, so the themes that I'm looking at, um, and these perhaps aren't themes that are explored in modern day comics because of the demographics of people writing comics at the, today. Mm. Um, there's not many people who are like you and I writing a comic book. There's not many people like you and I and perhaps some of the listeners who have had the experiences that we have on a day-to-day writing comics. So the themes that I'm looking at, it involves um, dehumanization, demonizing a group of people, what it feels like to be de- to be wrong just because of the way you you look without you saying or doing anything. Yeah. It explores themes of um, media double standards. So if something goes wrong... And this person does it. It's like, oh, there was an attack over there. But if something goes wrong and the other person does it, that's it. You're all to blame. Yeah. You're all the same. You're all this. And it exp- explores themes of fake news. Now, bear in mind, I wrote this script six years ago. And fake news, media double standard. <laughs> so it's not as if... What, what I want to get across is it's not as if I'm angry about this and I thought I'm going to write it. Yeah. I wrote this six, seven years ago. Wow. Um, I wrote it in 2012. Yeah. And those were things I thought would happen, um, but were perhaps happening to a lesser degree to what they are today. You know, the reason we're not seeing these in comic books is because, you know, you asked about what representation behind a screen looks like. Because it's not as if we all sit around a table and think, we have to get this in and this in. It's like, well, these are just things that I feel. I feel like um, nothing I could ever do could be right. If, If I was to do anything wrong... And I went on jury duty um, and uh, I saw this play out because the two people who were accused were two brown people. Yeah. And in, when you're the only brown person on the jury, you think to yourself, you know, you better never get in trouble. Because <laughs> <laughs> before you even, you may even know, need to know what the, the, um, the charges are, all the evidence. guilt is kind of already there. Yeah, right? you're already guilty. But I, I found with writing this stuff, it's not as if I'm trying to pinpoint certain things. It's just... I'm going to write an action adventure story and it's going to be crazy and it's going to have some deep philosophy in it, mm. but it's not going to be preachy. It's not going to be about, well, you need to change this. It's nothing like that at all. 
this is an action adventure movie where the themes are different. Sorry, an action adventure comic where the themes yeah. are different to other comics you might pick up on a shelf yeah. just purely because I'm coming at it from a different point of view with no agenda. I should make that clear. Mm. Um, the agenda is neither here nor there. Well, if I tell a story, I'm, I'm just telling the, it a different way. Is, like, what's interesting about what you just said is that you, we all bring baggage to the table. Right. You bring baggage to the conversation right now, as do I. Yeah. Any of the work that I do, and likewise with yourself, you're bringing that with you. Yeah. So if the if the comic book industry is, as you just put it, is is just as under representative as uh, the film industry and like on screen, off screen, wherever, then naturally the themes that uh, come out are only going to be based on people's lived experiences. Exactly. So what you're able to bring to the table, I guess, is a unique perspective that probably hasn't been portrayed in this way as effectively because even when someone who maybe is trying to do the good thing of um, calling out the dehumanization of a group unless they've lived it unless they've experienced it they won't understand the psychology of it mm. and be able to effectively portray it yeah that makes sense which is why actors for example go off and study their subjects and study the culture and whatever it might be mm. before they play a role yeah, yeah because they need to get into that yeah but we exist in that so a lot of things yes, you spoke about yeah. when it comes to the media and, and and just you know today at the time of recording there's a, a report that's come out that talks about the the media bias um against muslims the media reporting on muslims yeah um and how you know they i think they looked at eleven thousand headlines <coughs> or eleven thousand stories and a lot of them paint muslims in a very bad way and again i can put a link to the article in the description so people can read what i'm talking about but it's very interesting. What I, what, I, what I also find very interesting is that you wrote this in 2012. Um, yeah. Or you started in 2012. And the themes that you mentioned are, are very much on point um, considering the world today. And I think we live in this kind of pre and post Trump world where the term fake news, the second you say fake news, you think of America, you think of Trump. Mm. But the notion of fake news has existed for decades. Oh, yeah. But it's only like again when, when as soon as you say this, I was thinking, oh, he's written this two years ago. Yeah, yeah. When 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 you know the world, everything starts kicking off. But these things have always been a problem. The dehumanization of groups has always been a problem. Yeah. And it isn't the thing is, this isn't even about Muslims. It's not a Muslim exclusive struggle. This has happened historically. It's happened globally to loads of different minority groups. Yeah. Um, so that, that sounds really good. Yeah. And I think one thing, and, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, but given the fact that the comic book sphere is not limited by your sort of CGI budgets or anything like that, yeah. technically speaking, the quality of your production could be as high as, as Marvel Comics or anyone else's because it's just about the story, it's about the artists and about the, the graphics and yeah. everything else, right? So what I did to exactly meet that point was there's no way my book isn't going to be as good as any other. So yeah. I hired a professional comic book editor. Yeah. And this guy, he edits comic book. He does podcasts. He does teaches about how to do this. He can take a story and make it as good as any other story. I had two professional artists um, and I'd looked at, I had about 14, I had about 20 applicants for the roles. Yeah. And I picked the best ones and they're getting paid proper page rate so i've got professional artist, professional editor 
anyone who's not a professional getting paid <laughs> is yourself um but it goes to that point yeah but you you pay a page rate it can whatever that page whatever you draw there's the page rate mm. that page rate is there so if i draw epic you know it costs the same to make epic dragons as it does to make a two-person dilbert yeah, cartoon yeah, yeah. It's, it's the same page rate so um you're not limited by well you have to have to have a budget obviously of course yeah but, but it's uh, not like in the millions like no. these, these it's big, a big slightly examples. flatter playing field there yeah. is a slope obviously because when it comes to marketing it, this is the thing i was going to say right. then it comes down to how you push it out yeah um and and who's buying and then like making it onto the charts like i i used to work at a publishing house mm. my first job out of university was at a publisher oh nice and one thing i learned which was quite shocking to be honest is that you know if you want to be on the wh smith's uh top 10 you pay for those positions okay yeah. so so books that are like oh this is the summer read number one bestseller mm. it's not actually a bestseller it's just been put on number one because that strategically is going to get you more sales yeah so from a marketing perspective they're selling those spots so even if your comic for example were to sell to the extent that it's like a, you know it, it's up there they wouldn't put it on the number one spot because someone's paid for that number one spot yeah even which if is, you were is, number one yeah yeah which is unreal it, it, it's, it's crazy right but it's it's very interesting and I'm, I'm definitely keen to see how um the comic does so where is it right now in terms of is there a digital version that people there's can a access? digital version on amazon and okay. um amazon is a great demo democratizing force compared to the, the smith story you told yeah though amazon is a shop it's a search engine and if i go into it with and i've done lots of courses on this yeah the mentality of this is a search engine and people come to search you optimize your book to hit the right terms that people want yeah then you do your outreach now i actually um you know alhamdulillah i actually managed to launch the book and it hit number one nice on amazon very good <laughs> and uh various comic book categories it hit a number i can't remember the exact categories i think it was um mystery it hit number four action adventure hit number two and the other category comics category it hit number and one and that has an impact then on sales i'm guessing right yeah. yeah i mean trying to sustain that is very difficult yeah but i i did manage to launch number one mm. so um i can give you a link if you if you search digitopia in the kindle section on amazon now, Kindle apps exist on your mobile phone and your tablet, so you don't need a Kindle. Yeah. Um, the plan is to put it on other comic platforms later. Currently, I'm doing a uh, Kickstarter for a print version of the book. Okay. So if people want a paperback version, uh, the Kickstarter will go to July 25th. So shortly after this podcast airs, I imagine. Yeah, yeah. Um, we can, we, we'll put the link in the description yeah. as well so people can... can and, and so... I guess by supporting on the Kickstarter, you're basically also pre-ordering the book. Yeah, so Kickstarter is actually a pre-sales platform. It's, okay. it's dressed up as a crowdfunding platform, but, but it's, it's exactly as you described. So to help me control the cost, yeah. however many people back the Kickstarter, how many people put orders in, that will determine what I send to the printer. So I'll take the number of orders plus the contingency of about 30%, say, yeah. and send that to the printer. So when it comes... I've, I just put them in a post to all of the people. Thank you, notes. Thank you, messages. And then I have a small stock 
in case uh, some are damaged or returned. Mm. Um, so the old method was you'd print out a thousand and hope you'd sell, then you'd have a big problem. This way, I'm, I'm taking orders via Kickstarter yeah, um, and then send it to the printers and then post it out to everybody and keep a small amount left over in case someone gets damaged in the post or yeah. whatever. So um, yeah, if you search for Digitopia comic on Kickstarter, I've got actually got two Digitopia. One was for last year's Digitopia, which funded the art. Okay. Um, it funded to pay the artists. This uh, this Kickstarter is to um, to print out the book, and I just really want to get the book out to as many people as as I possibly can. It it sounds honestly, it sounds really interesting, and I, I as in as I said, I haven't read a comic in a while bar that Viva Vendetta thing back in the day um, but I would love to to get my hands on a copy I'll, I'll, I'll sign up or I'll, whatever on the Kickstarter thank you um, get my hands on a copy and, and as I said we'll, we'll put the link um, in the description so people can also kind of access it one final question yes um, what advice would you give to a young person listening to this who wanted to get into the whole visual effects field. Yeah, so fortunately, if you're a young person in 2019, it's going to be a lot easier for you than it was for me. Um, I would say hit YouTube. When, when I was studying, I had to buy a book, and you'd, it was like this caveman stuff, like you're turning a book and you're clicking on a mouse and you're turning what, learning, pages. Learning how to do things. Yeah, I would um, suggest if you get a double monitor set, and I do this even today when I'm yeah. learning software, I have a double monitor set up. On one monitor, you put YouTube up. On the other monitor, you you can get free downloads, like trial versions for 28 days yeah. of the software. And really block out those 28 days or 14 days or whatever. And really hit it hard. And hit learn. it hard. Like yeah. cancel your calendar for 28 days. I learned web development. I learned all of these skills in short, short spurts. Just shut. Well, you can't shut the internet off because you need YouTube. But um, <laughs> turn your mobile phone off. Yeah, you don't yeah. need that. Turn off your social media. Yeah. Turn off WhatsApp. Close all yeah, the yeah. tabs, all the notifications, turn them off. Um, and if you, depending on which visual effects you want to use, um, yeah. most of the film houses use a software called Maya, um, and you can get a free trial for 30 day or 14 or 30 day free trial, or use Houdini if you really want to do visual effects. If you want to do animation, um, download Blender 2.8, which is free, and it's completely free for, if they don't charge a license, and get onto YouTube, go to places like Udemy, um, or Coursera or these places um, plural site these are better YouTube is great but if you go to an actual site which actually does a course in Maya or Houdini or Blender they, they generally you pay a monthly for those right or no You yeah you can or you can buy the course I think I won't give Udemy secret away because I do have a course in Udemy and I've, I've learned how they do it but <laughs> type the course into Udemy yeah. the price will change depending upon the time of day you do it in wait three or four days type the same course back in again and you might get a better price <laughs> the second time round um, after you see all the banner ads yeah uh, for three or four days yeah, yeah, yeah. um and the pre-links for youtube but just download the software do a monitor shut everything mm. off and you'll be amazed at how much you'll learn in 28 days or even 14 days and i'm not talking you have to do eight hours a day you do four a couple or of hours, four yeah. hours yeah no, I, I mean, that's, that's the interesting thing that I feel like the, the 
barriers to entry mm. um, are, are disappearing by the day yeah. in every field. Yeah, yeah. As you said, like YouTube, there are courses for pretty much anything and everything. And you can learn up to an extent, obviously. And I think experience also plays a big part of it. But you can get started in whatever you want yeah. um, with these platforms. But it just needs for you to kind of push forward. That was a lot more technical uh, of advice than I thought. Well, I thought rather than give some area. Yeah, no, that was good. Though. No, I, I was, I was like, yeah, he'll just say, yeah, just follow, keep, your, dreams. follow your dreams, and then that's it. Peace yeah. out. But this was good. But also, no. um, if they do want to learn about VFX, um, I happen to have written a book, which was also an Amazon bestseller. Very good. Um, VFX. So we, can, we can drop the link. Right, listen, yeah. all the. I'll give you the the description section. You write it. I'll write it. Right. You just write the whole stuff thing. Stuff with links. Just stuff it with links. <laughs> um, but no, this has been really, really interesting. I was I was honestly a bit anxious, uh, not anxious. I was concerned about doing this podcast because I was like, I don't know enough about visual effects and whatever. But it's been a fascinating conversation, and and the I hope well, I don't know if you have, but I feel like you've maybe toned down the technical language a little bit. The last five minutes went over my head, no. <laughs> but I it was it it's been a very interesting insight into into the whole field, and I, I guess thank you for sharing that in your own personal experience as no well. Problem. Thank you for having me. Um, and yeah, all the best with the with the book, with the comic. Thank you, and uh, thank you for your time. Thank you, all listeners. So uh, it's been great fun. Thank you. So there you have it. I now officially know someone who has worked on the Batman Begins movie, a uh, bunch of uh, what are they called Harry Potter films. Not that excited about that, to be honest. Um, and various others like Alien and Predator. Um, really really cool to be honest when he was talking about you know Ridley Scott and Christopher Nolan and like having interacted with these individuals these are you know big big Hollywood names um and it's just it's just it's just very cool I guess um and then I, I guess alongside that what I found very interesting is that he's taken um his sort of passion and the stuff that he loves to do and he's kind of I guess married that together with the experience that he's had and wanting to create I guess a comic book that that kind of um, I guess draws on all of those different aspects um, and it's yeah we'll have all the links in the in the description so be sure to check them out the Kickstarter campaign I believe um, is still open for a couple more days um, so there's your opportunity there to, to get involved um, and we'll put Farhan's contact details as well if you if you want to get in touch if you're thinking of getting started in visual effects CGI comic books any I guess any of that kind of stuff um, then I'm sure he'd be more than happy to to help out um, and yeah that's everything I guess for for this week's podcast um, as always be sure to subscribe leave us a nice review and always tell your friends and family to also check out the Muslim Vibe podcast thank you very much for listening we'll be back next week inshallah wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh